The American novelist Gregory Maguire said, The eye is always caught by the light, but the shadows have more to say. In this episode, we're going to listen to hear what those shadows might be saying and allow our eyes to see more than what the light might want us to notice. Welcome to Starling. I'm Amy Markham. Thank you for joining me here to connect with your creative practice. So, fall has arrived, and although here in the Memphis area that has not led to cooler weather, it does mean that our days are getting shorter. This is the season of the darkening of the light, to quote Concrete Blonde. Our sun will fade faster from the sky every day until December 21st allowing the night to prevail over the day, even though the sun is actually getting closer to us. Our skies play out this back-and-forth balance in the cycle of our year as sometimes the light prevails over the dark and then the dark regains dominance. Only for a few brief moments each year do we get to experience the balance between the two, as above, so below, in that this struggle that happens in our heavens seems to actually overlay everything here. Our reality is set up like a dichotomy, just as we see in the skies above us. And here on Earth, that struggle can feel very real. So it seems like the time is here to explore the dark a bit, to actually look into the shadows and understand how darkness gives meaning to the light and provides contrast for all of our creative expressions. For without darkness, the light would not exist. And without light, darkness would not either. All things are made understood through the relationship to opposites. And boy, how we struggle with that understanding here. We really want to believe that there's a winner and a loser, and one over the other, and that it's never both. But it's always both. Just look at the sky. My personal creative practice has led me to discovery that is teaching me the value of duality through contrast and the concept of both being more powerful than just one or the other. Without light, dark doesn't exist. And without darkness, there are no shadows, which makes everything look flat. But overall, people tend to be afraid of the dark and focus on the light because light is more easily seen. As I said in the quote from Gregory Maguire, In the beginning, um, the eye is drawn to light. It catches us because we can see clearly with it. But shadows do have more to say. As light makes the shadows, without light, there would be no shadow. The wisdom of the light lies within the darkness, within those shadows, hidden from us, although in plain sight. At school over the past few weeks, we have been working on shading forms and working with shading in general. With the goal of learning how to translate uh, value from dark to light and include all those things like midtones, those in-between values that often go unnoticed. And I hear myself telling my students a lot, don't be afraid of the dark. Young artists are often very timid with how they apply value. If you look at the work of young or amateur artists, you're going to notice a reluctance to create contrast, which results in flat-looking work. 
Learning to work with light and shadow is foundational for a visual artist, and understanding how that interplay between those forces creates beauty can enhance not only our artistic output, but our way of being. This duality can be easily seen and understood through the visual arts because when our eye is drawn to that light, it forces us to also take notice of the dark and how the darkness actually defines the form. All methods of art ask us to understand that duality exists um, and make us see things more as a whole. Think about the balance of a musical composition that explores both high and low octaves or ranges and dance movements that stretch our human form to reach skyward and then pull us back down to earth, and through the interplay of sweet and savory in the meals that we create. Without contrast and exploring the balance between things, we cannot understand the range of possibilities that truly exist. It is never that one is better than the other. It's that through the interplay, a whole is experienced. Our ancestors understood darkness in a way that we never will. In our modern world, light dispels dark at the flick of a switch. Modern humans are uncomfortable in the dark and surrounded with technology that allows us to avoid the lessons that the darkness tries to share with us through its quiet voice. But not so long ago, our ancestors could hear what the dark was trying to tell them. And not in some creepy way. As the sun went down and darkness fell across their land, candles were lit and shadows were cast. Darkness was part of the life experience in a way that those of us growing up with electricity and with the light of our cell phone screens will never truly grasp. There was a time when people were more in touch with the night and more aware of what it whispered to them. People who have lived in the dark build an understanding of it, and they know that it's not always wicked or full of spiders. (laughs) When night came to our ancestors, they knew that it was time to rest and reflect and time to go within. The night reminded them that there was more to know than what we could see. For a long time in the history of visual arts, artists basically ignored shadows. Maybe they thought they were too black or too dull or too empty. But if you look back at the world of art history, for a long time, those paintings seemed really flat, very one-dimensional. For a long time, we thought the earth was flat. We didn't know that we were on a giant sphere spinning through outer space. The ancient Greeks were the first artists to use cast shadows in their art, which started to give the illusion of depth. It takes a pretty good understanding of perspective and space in general to create cast shadows correctly. Cast shadows are simply the shadows that are cast by an object. Through a study of how shadows fall based on a consistent light source, artists can begin to understand how to trick the eye of a viewer and make images appear more 3D on a 2D surface. And it isn't surprising that the Greeks were the first to really use shadows in art, because they saw shadows as a metaphor for the soul. Sure, it was Hades that ruled over the land of shadows, but that's where all the souls of the dead went, not just the bad ones. The idea of the shadow was so prevalent in their culture, both philosophically and through story, so of course it began to show up in their art. Roman author and philosopher Pliny the Elder wrote a very influential book called Naturalis Historia, or Natural History. This became the model for encyclopedias, and in that book, he told a story or a myth 
about the origins of painting that exemplifies exactly how important shadow is to art, or that shadow is in general. The myth says that one night, a potter's daughter traced the shadow of her sleeping lover on the wall. Her lover was going to be leaving the next day for a long journey, and she wanted to keep part of him with her. So she traced his profile that was projected onto the wall by lamplight. This began the myth that has inspired artists for over 2,000 years. This idea that simply tracing a shadow began the Western artistic tradition. Pliny the Elder's work greatly influenced the artist of the Renaissance, where we see a sudden quickening of that artistic enlightenment. Even though the art of the Renaissance was where understanding perspective really became seen, shadows weren't a feature of the work for a while. Leonardo da Vinci knew that getting shadows right was vital to the success of artwork, but he thought that representing all the cast shadows would be too overwhelming, too much for a painting. So he knew that it was up to each individual artist to consider which shadows were necessary to produce the effect that they wanted in their pieces. Da Vinci is noted as the first artist to use what is known as chiaroscuro, which translates from Italian to light-dark. Chiaroscuro basically means depicting strong contrast of light and dark that gives volume to figures and forms. But it was really the artist Caravaggio that took this concept and made it his own, and developed it further into what is known as tenebrism, where forms emerge from shadows, with large portions of the painting completely in shadow, nearly black, as a single light source illuminates certain areas of the painting and give it a very dramatic feel. Both chiaroscuro and tenebrism involve the use of contrasting areas of light and dark, but there is a difference that is seen very easily when you stand and compare these two things. Tenebrism has a clearly dramatic effect. It allows the painter to spotlight important parts of the picture and draw the viewer's eye to a face or figures while contrasting dark areas, sometimes totally black, really make you wonder what's in those shadows. Whereas chiaroscuro is less dramatic, it uses smaller amounts of shadow and is mainly meant to increase the three-dimensionality of subjects and forms. Once artists had figured out how to create shadow through a good understanding of the skill needed to do it, they moved past that literal understanding into a more symbolic understanding. So the first time that we know that that happened really in Western art is in a fresco in Santa Marina del Carmina. It's by the artist Masaccio. And as he painted um, this fresco, he used the actual story about the power of a shadow to depict cast shadows. He used the story of St. Peter healing the sick with his shadow. In the painting, two sick men that the apostle has passed appear to be healed, and another is beginning to stand and become healed as the shadow of St. Peter passes over him. In that fresco, we begin to understand that the shadow is more than just something that's used to trick the eye of the viewer and can be used to convey deep and powerful meaning as well. Inspired by both the symbolic and psychological understandings of how shadow and artists like Caravaggio captured shadow in their work, early filmmakers let shadows be their guide. Capturing that interplay between dark and light through a camera lens in both photography and film, can communicate limitless possibilities. 
German expressionist films of the 1920s are notable for their use of shadows to develop characters and create mood. The groundbreaking film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, directed by Robert Wiener, is an artistic masterpiece for the use of shadows in film. And interestingly, the shadows in that film are actually painted onto the sets rather than simply being created by light. And because he did that, this creates this unrealistic shadow that makes an unsettling sort of feeling that contributes to the unstable mindset of the characters in the film. In F.W. Murnau's film Nosferatu, the vampiric main character, Count Orlok's silhouette, feels otherworldly. And the way the figure emerges from darkness in this film creates such a sense of impending doom. The lighting in this film set the stage for all future vampire movies. In the 1930s, film noir expanded the work of German Expressionists by making the world itself seemed dark and pessimistic. It even allowed shadows to become actors themselves, sometimes showing simply the shadow of a murderous figure as a crime is committed. Not to mention how early horror films created that feeling of fear with darkness and shadow. And once color came to film, shadow still remained important in setting atmosphere and mood in cinema. The shadow as a symbol has come through ancient cultures and stories abound of the importance of the shadow. And it went all the way up through even to Peter Pan losing his shadow in the Darling's house. This idea of shadow being part of what makes us human has influenced creative thinking since we began to take notice of the aspect of ourself. If you remember, I've discussed Jung's concept of the shadow as part of our archetypal structure. The shadow is more than just that thing that is cast behind us. It's something that's kept from us, and we have to be willing to go look into the shadows to see what it has to offer us. You probably remember the first time you noticed your own shadow, or at least something like that. And you probably remember making shadow puppets on a wall with your hand as a child and beginning to understand how the light creates shadow and that we can play with those shadows. I remember vividly being on a playground when I was maybe in second grade and noticing how my shadow could bend and move depending on what I did and how it changed when I would get close to objects. And I really remember standing with my friends and making our shadows merge to create new forms. When we're about eight or nine years old, we really begin to understand that light decides where our shadow falls, and we understand that a shadow is really the absence of light caused by something blocking it. There then becomes this idea of shadow play, and how we engage with our own shadow, how we can see it as part of ourself or separate from us. Once we start to understand shadow, it can tell us a lot. We can get a lot of information about something through a willingness to explore its shadows. Shadows can tell time, define objects, explain volume or shape, provide information about a landscape, give a sense of atmosphere, and most importantly, it can point us to the light. It's the fact that the light is the creator of all shadows that seems really important to explore. You see, we only know darkness because of the light, and we only know light because of the dark. That myth of the origin of painting that Pliny the Elder shared inspired silhouettes of the 18th century, this romantic idealism of capturing the shape of someone you love, tracing their image, led many people to want shadow portraits of their loved ones. 
But then, as we've moved farther along the line of art history, jump to how Carol Walker has used silhouettes in her work to depict the pain and tragic legacy of slavery, capturing both the psychologically symbolic and literal shadow form of the medium of the silhouette. In the dark, mysterious shapes of her silhouettes, a viewer can project their own understandings of that experience. You see, that's what the dark does. The dark invites us to go within and to try to understand, and maybe understand without seeing, but just knowing, to find that there is wisdom hidden from us, hidden by the light itself. There's this card in the tarot deck. It's a major arcana card called the sun. It's number 19 out of 21 cards. And I bring it up because the symbolism seems relevant here. The sun, as a card and in real life, is life-giving. It's that big star up in our sky, the same light source that has been here for all of our ancestors that came before us. That light has been shining down on our earth for eons. It rises every day in our sky as a reminder that it was never actually gone, just hidden from us. And when it sets every night and we go into darkness, we have the comfort of knowing that it will always return. For a while now, we've been able to bask in its light all through the summer, and it's allowed us to see and to be seen. Be aware, though, the sun does cast shadows, and shadows can hide things. There are things that we keep hidden from ourselves, and we don't know unless we decide to go explore those shadows. As fall comes, it's a reminder to move towards the shadows and to go into them. Shadows can protect us from overexposure to the sun, and it can give us much-needed rest and a chance to focus on hidden aspects that have gone unnoticed in the light. Fall is an invitation to imagine, examine, and to create from within. It is a reminder that darkness has a purpose that is given by the light to add depth and wisdom in our lives. Like the way Gregory Maguire explored the character of the Wicked Witch with Alphaba in Wicked, giving a new voice to what had only been seen before as dark and evil. Through giving us her story, we can see more fully the tale that was actually being told in The Wizard of Oz. Learning to look at the shadows and understand what they offer gives us more full meaning. And you know, we always think that we're the light, but to someone, we are the dark. It's when we can pull away and see the entire form of ourself and of others that we have a chance to get to know the whole and to understand humanity more fully. Through every shade of the value scale from light to dark, there is a chance for knowing and for understanding, as long as we're not afraid of the dark. So for this week, I'm going to encourage us to approach our creative practice with an awareness of the light and the dark and the way that they interact with one another. So let's go over some suggestions for practices around the darkness. Let's welcome the darkening of the light with some quiet reflection. This is a good time to enjoy meditation or simply moments of silence in the dark. Think about using this either early in the morning before the sun rises or as night falls. Don't rush to turn on lights and push the dark away. Let it linger and see what insights it might offer you. Listen to what those shadows have to say. Does being in the dark make you uncomfortable? Why or why not? What are you projecting into that darkness? 
You see, it's your own unconscious projections that scare you in those shadows. Being aware of what scares you is an important part of overcoming our fears. I remember as a child, um, the washing machine in my house was in a back corner of a basement, and I had to walk down the stairs through the dark and reach for a hanging light bulb that had a string to pull. Those moments in the dark, grasping for that string were always terrifying to me as a child. And I imagined every sort of demon that could possibly be lurking in that darkness. And then I would get my laundry and run back up the steps, and I swear it sounded like something was chasing me up the steps. But I know that was my own imagination and my own fear working with me. Maybe see how long you can be in the dark and see what comes up when you sit there. See how long it takes before you feel like you need to cut on the lights. Maybe write a story about what you've projected into that darkness or draw it or make a song about it. This is also a good time to go back to basics and work on shading. Noticing how light and shadow create form by drawing some things. Um, getting those really dark parts really dark. Maybe consider working with that high contrast that Caravaggio used, like Tenebrism or Chiaroscuro. Use that for inspiration. Perhaps using light and shadow can lead you to some new works. If you're not a visual artist, just playing with that idea of contrast in your art form can allow you to find the power of knowing different ends of the spectrum. Cast some shadows and work with them. Here you could create silhouettes of people you love or set up objects and look at what shadows they create. Trace shadows and see where that leads you. Play with light source and how that changes the shape of the shadows. Maybe even create a shadow puppet theater using your hands or cut paper to create a story with shadows. You know, all of this makes me think too that we should try to sit with ideas that we don't like. Allow them to expose your own bias. Through looking at what makes us angry or uncomfortable, we can start to see areas that we might need to grow in. And a fun one for this practice could also be literally creating something in the dark. Turn off the lights. Draw without being able to see what you are making. I bet that will give you some new shapes and ideas that could lead you to a new style or to consider a new direction in your work. Take some black and white photos and notice the pattern of shadows this week. Create film clips that also pay attention to those shadows. Anything that you can do to invite an understanding of how we see opposites and how those opposites make a whole seems relevant for this week's practice. Notice how we understand everything through its relationship to its opposite. And consider that about yourself. What have you considered opposite to you? You know, too much positivity is as bad as too much negativity. We should try to enjoy every experience for what it has to offer us, seeing the beauty in both light and dark, and knowing that they both have value because together they create an entire range of experience. I want to thank you for joining me here and remind you that our time in the shadows is important so that we can rest and reset. As we head into this fall season, Let's welcome the shadows and see what depth they offer us. If you are enjoying the topics I cover and practices that I offer here with Starling, I hope that you'll share the show with people that you think might enjoy it as well. If you'd like to leave a rating or a review, that would be great too. I'm really also hoping to grow the online community a bit so that we can share what we're creating, whether that be from the practices discussed here 
or just in our overall individual process. I have started a Facebook group in my Starling Creative Living page called Exploring Creatively. Join the group to continue these conversations or start some of your own. I'd love to hear from you guys about your own experiences in the dark. So reach out to me on Twitter at Art Teacher Amy or on Instagram at The Starling Creative. And if you feel like supporting the show a bit, I've started making a few things that you can purchase through my Redbubble page. I'll put a link in the show notes. You can get a Starling t-shirt or items like journals or sketchbooks that have the Starling bird on the cover, which might be a great place to keep up with the practices that we're doing or take notes about ideas that you get after listening to the show. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more information about all the content that I've covered here, including examples of artwork, links to information about the artist I've discussed, a recap of the practices, and as always, the playlist I make to accompany this conversation. I'll also put the link in there for that Facebook group if you want to join me over there. Thanks again for listening, and as always, enjoy your process.